do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Studying Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Katie. And I'm Jade. And this is Future Studying. Hello. In a week where we embrace getting our news from credible sources rather than good old Facebook, we bring you a conversation with a beautiful woman who has spent the better part of the last year away from screens and in fact news altogether. Instead, she spent her time earning her family's resilience, which is a role that she sees as valuable as her husband's role, which is earning their financial stability. She also spends her days living intentionally simply, growing the food for the three of them and in their small shipping container house. She also is guided by the cycles of the moon. Having studied at the School of Shamanic Womancraft, she speaks about the phases of women's lives and the power of turning in, connecting with the natural world, and she even facilitates women's bush retreats, which sound altogether magnificent. Before I hand you over to the gentle strength of this woman, who is actually Trisha from Little Echo Footprints, who many of you may already be aware of, I'd like to invite you to, at the end of the conversation, pause your pondering. And I know there'll be lots of reason to do that from this conversation. But pause it just for a moment to hear from some of our listeners and supporters who've been active this week with messages of change, hope and gratitude from all around the world. Now, over to Tricia. I know you're going to love this conversation as much as we did. Off. Cacophony. I want to go right back to where we just were a moment ago um, because you had this beautiful phrase that was um, you, your husband earns the money and you earn the resiliency and I love that term and I'm going to start employing that, that term because I think it's a really incredible way of looking at the way we should all be living at the moment. How exactly do you build your resiliency for your family? Uh, the main one I guess is not being trapped into having to put all our effort into earning an income just by keeping our debt to a minimum and really reducing the amount of money we need to survive. Um, So for us right now, I guess a big one is living in the tiny home. And um, yeah, we could have built a proper home when we first moved here, but my, my whole mind and body were just screaming at me to take a break and slow down for a while. So I'm so grateful that, um, yeah, it's given us breathing space to just stop and pause and think about where we're going. And do you think what you're building now will be vastly different to what it would have been if you hadn't have got off the treadmill and you had have just soldiered on with your expectations and your grand visions of what life should and could be? Oh, it's totally different. So I guess I look back at what we'd planned on building four or five years ago and now we're building... Um, a very small, comfortable, sustainable two-bedroom home built from conventional building materials by conventional buildings but still is a really well-performing home Um, just because we don't want to go into huge debt. Um, I guess debt traps you into having to earn an income and I kind of feel like having to make 
projects or the work you do financially viable actually ruins it. So I feel like um, we need to, when we can, take money out of the equation so that we can actually be free to do work um, because it's needed, not because it makes money. Mm, And so rather than being driven by the derivative of money or the power of money, what is it that's driving you? Uh, I guess my big why is nature conservation. So um, I've always been really passionate about conserving nature. I can actually remember the moment when I was probably a 12-year-old girl wandering through a forest and I sat on a patch of moss and I just had this overwhelming sense that, you know, what I wanted to do with my life was help protect nature. And um, I guess that's been a really reassuring constant throughout my life ever since. And do you think we need to have a certain level of um, like a certain basic understanding of ecology and biology and these living systems so that we can be responsible custodians? Because I think a lot of things are done with good intentions, but potentially misguided. Um, And I know you've got a background in ecology. Do you think that's a good place for people to start to, to educate themselves or can we navigate this stuff intuitively? I think what we need to do is to just be more conscious of our impact in nature. So as you mentioned, I used to work in threatened species conservation. So I had this real passion for nature conservation. So I finished high school and I went off to uni and did a Bachelor of Science in Biology. And then I did a PhD in Conservation Biology. And then I worked for state government for 15 years managing projects for threatened plants. But what I realised is I just felt like I was shuffling deck chairs whilst the boat was sinking. And what the main problem is, is actually the way we live our lives. So I guess the first half of my career was focused, you know, directly on helping to conserve threatened plants. But now I'm, I guess my focus is more towards influencing the way we live and trying to encourage people to focus on finding meaning in creativity and connections rather than consumption and material stuff because it's our I guess our greed or no it's just naive um materialism um our consumption is obscene but I don't think we realize I think people are so disconnected and I found it really frustrated frustrating working for government and we're still clearing remnant bushland and we're still oblivious that when we buy more stuff, that means more factories are being built. And yeah, so I think um, having, not necessarily, I guess, going out and studying ecology, but being really conscious that we actually are part of nature. I guess recent times have made that really clear is we're not separate from nature. Nature's not something that's out there. We're actually intertwined. We're part of nature. And I guess being more conscious of that and deepening your connection with nature is a really wonderful way of I guess being more conscious of your impact so that you can do what you can to tread gently and I guess live a more regenerative lifestyle. And how do you go about facilitating that reconnection because I know you help people um, and facilitate workshops and what's your approach to that reintroduction? Yeah, so I guess so. I run um, nature connection gatherings for women. So I take um, very small groups of women out into the wild and we focus on slowing down and just 
tuning into, I guess, our inner self um, with the help of nature. So there's a lot of ritual incorporated into that. So we go out and we um, introduce ourselves to country and we sit in circle and share stories and I help um, women go off and, I guess, spend time in nature um, by themselves, which a lot of women don't feel comfortable doing um, on their own. Um, so, yeah, we do things like barefoot bushwalking and sit spot and um, just share stories. It's a lot of fun. And do you mostly do that with women because you feel like that's who you can best connect with through the power of, you know, feminine connection? Or do you do that because you feel like, um, intuitively women have an ability to bring about change that we perhaps haven't had a lot of voice around prior to now but now is the time for our voice to be heard exactly so I think now it's more more important than ever that women are healthy and well because we've got a huge task ahead of us and I think um you know women we're um we're naturally, we have this really strong connection with Mother Nature. So we're cyclical beings. We cycle with the moon. And so it's just that connection with nature is really strong and we need to tune into that so that we can, so as I mentioned, I'm really passionate about, I guess, taking a breather and slowing down. So I use the seasons and cycles of nature to remind me to look inwards and you know I haven't always been like this I suffered from overwhelm and anxiety for years and I clear my schedule and find myself um, you know feeling better and then all of a sudden I'd start saying yes to more things so but now what I do is I actually look to nature to remind me winter pause and turn inwards so for example I um, I live my life by the phases of the moon so I um, each new moon I sit down and actually think about what I want to achieve that month based on you know looking at my health my family my work and I work out a list of priorities and then I craft those into moon prayers and then I state those out loud and it's this way of setting intentions and sometimes I do that by myself sometimes I do that with friends and then each full moon, I I take a moment to craft full moon prayers. So I look at what I'm grateful for. And then each dark moon, I stop and think about, you know, things that need to be tweaked and what I need to let go of. And, um, yeah, and so I have dark moon prayers where I let go of what no longer serves. And it's just a really nice reminder that, you know, Mother Nature, she's the queen of I guess work-life balance she's um she knows that the times that we pause are just as important as when we bloom so we don't see nature trying to bloom all the time but for some reason we think we can I guess we feel like we always have to be doing something and producing something but it's really important mm. that we stop and take a breath if we um want to mm. be well the malaise of the western world has this idea that success is only built through an inability to find time to breathe and to, and to um, really see those small things. Um, do you take time, and I imagine I already know the answer to this, but do you take time to notice the really small things that are happening all around you? Ah, definitely, I guess. 
So my favourite moment every day probably is when I step outside and stand on the earth barefoot. It's one of the first things I do in the morning and I just feel like I want to um, reconnect the earth. Um, partly because living in a shipping container feels quite not very grounded, um, living in a metal box. Um, but, yeah, heading outside in the mornings and just connecting with the earth, um, barefoot and stretching. And um, And I also, so when I need it, I take more time out than that. So I recently did a a three-day wilderness solo where I took myself out into the wild and, um, you know, just stayed at one spot for three days and fasted and enjoyed wild solitude. So it's really important to me and I'll stop and watch an ant crawl or I just, um, I find watching the little things in nature for me is my meditation and um, yeah nature's really good at it showing us how to slow down and when to slow down. I'm just so curious to to understand that that gap between woman living in the city working a full-time job cosmopolitan Newcastle to sitting in the wilderness observing ants like do you have mentors or are there books that have totally blown your mind or what what's the what's the link there? How do you get to yeah, that so, place? Oh, so for me, I guess the first step was the pause. So I took, you know, my midlife gap year and then I found myself at some incredible gatherings with the Art of Mentoring Australia and Wildcraft Australia. And then I eventually ended up with the School of Shamanic Womancraft and did their Four Seasons journey, which is a 12-month um, course focused on reconnecting with feminine wisdom and um, for me in particular it was about connecting with the seasons and cycles of life and nature so um, I guess they've been my main um, yeah the school of shamanic womancraft sounds it sounds transformative and it, it really has been transformative you have gone as Katie says from woman in city to woman in wilderness watching ants along the way have you felt like you've needed to justify your actions and your decisions and have you felt like those that were around you were either miffed and fell by the wayside or absolutely enamored and inspired and came with you have you had to rebuild your people um I guess the beauty is I, I don't necessarily care what other people think. Um, I've got a really clear vision of what's important for my family and that's our health and resilience. So if I worried about what people would think about us living in a shed or what people would think about us living in a shipping container or what people would think um, about me being a, you know, I once was a professional with a PhD working for government and I'm now kind of just a stay-at-home housewife at the moment. Um, if I worried about what people thought, I wouldn't have made these changes. But I found it really easy just because I don't necessarily think about what other people think because my vision about where we're going is so strong. Are you, are you focused inwards on that or do you feel like you've actively got energy and desire and enthusiasm for kind of working with a community that's around you ah, how are you yeah. building that community so community is um really important for me in terms of it's also one of the reasons why I don't like the idea of being tied down by paid work so my as I step away from the online world more and I guess step more into my real world community I find it's really important 
uh, at the moment that we need to be around people that we can be truly honest with and vulnerable with. And um, to do that, we need, I guess, an, a real life face-to-face tribe. And I love that now that I'm not working, I've got the time if I need to go and spend the day with a friend who's going through a tough time and take her out into the forest and go for a barefoot walk or do deep healing, I've got the time to do that. And I think it's really important um, that we don't put all our eggs in one basket in terms of letting our online communities take up so much space in our lives. Yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about and explore is the role of social media. And I know that... um, Every, I mean, everyone we interview, I think, so far has an online presence, has an Instagram account, and there's so much to be said for that showcasing of ideas and inspiration, that portal of inspiration. But I know that there's this insidiousness that comes with that. And mm-hmm. part of me, I just want to retract sometimes and say, like, bugger it, it's, it's all off and I'm just going to be here very local with my neighbours and my beautiful you know, partner and focus on the people, the real people around me who I can kind of touch and smell and feel where where does social media fit for you yeah so for me I listened to that feeling about needing to step away and just focus on the present and I actually step away from social media and I actually counted so I had a look and I've posted on Instagram only a dozen times in the past year um but you know still my online presence led to this invitation for this podcast and I also had a interview this week for a magazine feature. So I think, I guess those of us who are trying to inspire change, we feel like we have to be on there all the time, but I don't think it's good for us. And so I actually, I think I've always been good at when I feel like my mind's getting a bit scattered or when I feel like online conversations are rattling along in my mind for too long, I just step away. And that used to, for me, look like, you know, screen-free weekends or I'd have a day off here or there. But now, um, so this winter, I actually felt like I needed a whole lot more solitude than what I um, was getting. And so I actually declared a six-month sabbatical from social media. So I stepped away from the online world and kind of felt so nice. I like the way my brain works when it's not there that it's kind of, I don't know, I must be close to nine months now and I haven't really stepped back into the space. But I do think the online world's important. But I do think there's a whole lot of people on there who are just talking and there's not a lot of listening. So I'm not keen to step back too fully into the space until I'm ready to engage fully in conversation because I think that's really important that we kind of have the same rules for online communication as what we do in real life is that you talk and you listen. Mm. How are you navigating that world with a 13-year-old? So she's just coming into her own. Do you homeschool? No, I don't homeschool. She's well and truly suited to mainstream education. She, um, as an only child, she didn't necessarily like having to work at home um, during isolation. Um, yeah, so she's um, at the local high school in Singleton. And um, yeah, so she, I guess I like that she sees me step away from um, social media when I need it. And I've also been really strict on her that she's actually, she doesn't always follow the rule, but I try to get her to not jump on unless she's got something to share. I say she can't just consume, she has to create as well. Because I think particularly as young girls, if you're just on there consuming what other people are saying, it's a really easy way to feel, I guess, like everyone else's life is better than yours. 
But if you take the time to find something in your life that's worthwhile sharing, um, it's a really nice way of, I guess, fostering gratitude. Well, I was just going to say, I know with my three kids, they have all responded very differently to our attempts at building resiliency. So we've moved them out of town and we've moved to a farm and, you know, that takes them out of um, immediate access from their friends and they don't have um, te- telephones of their own, mobile phones of their own. So they rely on us really heavily to, to kind of access any kind of social life at all and there's starting to be a little bit of resentment build around that and then other things like we we go out of our way to try and build ritual with the kids and to try and um, really embark or embed a sense of seasonality through the food that we eat and and the activities that we undertake and the ceremonies and celebrations that we host with friends but every now and then that sense of resentment rears its head from one probably more than the others and one of them in fact suffers a little bit of eco-anxiety that sometimes can be more than a little bit it can be quite crippling and so I'm really mindful of the language that we use and the conversations that we have and the level of detail that we provide to them how do you tackle that with a 13 year old who's clearly watched pretty closely the way you're living and the decisions that you've made to, to actively build resilience for your family? Yeah, I've, I guess I focus, I think at her, at her age and with young children, we can actually, I think we need to do whatever we can to prevent eco-anxiety, even if it means they're living in a little bit of a, a bubble. And so I guess, so my daughter, I guess she sees the way we're living but she doesn't necessarily know the why. Well, I don't remind her of the why all the time. She just knows that, you know, we lived in a shed for a couple of years and we lived in a shipping container for a couple of years and she knows she can be happy no matter where she is. But I think it's really important as a 13-year-old that she, I guess, is happy and feels safe and doesn't fear the future because we have no idea what their future is going to look like. And I think it's really important that you know our children grow up to be resilient and creative and courageous and that's not going to happen if we cripple them with fear so um yeah I guess um for her I guess the life we live is just how we live it's not necessarily she knows a bigger picture but we don't you know I don't we don't talk about it a lot I just focus on um her having I guess a comfortable life and if we need to compromise if there's things so she wanted a new phone recently and she was really scared to tell me um because she knows what I think because she had an old one that worked perfectly fine but I just explained to her that if something was really important so she couldn't chat with her friends and as a 13 year old girl in year seven being the only one that couldn't join in the group chat with her friends um actually really bothered her and she knew that you know, I didn't think she needed a new phone, but when she took the time to explain to me why she wanted the new phone um, and I listened to her, I guess she kind of found that really comforting. So we we looked at how we could work that out because I could see it was clearly important to her at the moment. So lots of compromise and time in the car, unfortunately. So um, it used to be um, delightful when she was younger she was in a local we're really fortunate that we're out in a rural area but we had a small primary school just walking distance down the road 
but now that she's in high school um, and she's super keen on sports, we spend, uh, unfortunately, um, a lot of time in the car, um, which is not ideal. But also that um, she also gets a lot of freedom now too, so she'll hang around in the local town after school. So um, that child of yours, I guess, it feels like they're missing out. Um, you know, I think it gets easier in high school when they can spend a bit more time in town by themselves and not be forced to be stuck out on a rural property away from their friends. Yeah, yeah. That compromise that you've just talked about, you, you sort of um, used the word unfortunate a couple of times. We interview people regularly um, who say, we're kind of stuck in the sea that we're in, we're living a life as consciously as we possibly can, but the reality is there's still hypocrisy associated with mm. that. And I just, I have to come to terms with that or it'll turn me inside out and and... How do you go with that? Uh, I guess I don't like to see them as hypocrisy, rather just opportunities for um, for change, things to work towards. So I mentioned um, so driving. So our family, where um, if we want to, so we if we want to go anywhere, we have to drive. Unfortunately, and public transport just isn't an option. And my husband and live both play water polo and in some of that means our car's actually driving into Newcastle four times a day which is over eight hours of driving time um which a day I get, no I'm sorry eight hours of driving time a week so a four week. days a yes. week it goes in sorry um it is eight hours a week of driving time and rather than I guess beat myself up for that because it's really important to them it's their health it's their um it's, I guess, where they connect with their community and each other. Um, I just we're just working towards in a few years' time. So our second car is an old bomb, and I really hate that we even have to have a second car, but out here we do. And we're working towards one day getting an electric car. So, um, yeah, there's lots of compromise and hypocrisy, but I think it's about just using it as a reminder of perhaps where we can change things and do a little bit of tweaking and work towards. So I used to, um, I used to be a huge fan of challenges. So I challenged our family to skip the supermarket for a year, um, many years ago, and challenged myself, for example, to wear only six items of clothing for a month. But I'm far gentler with our change these days because I realise. We're good to nobody if we're overwhelmed and exhausted and unwell. And it's really important that we are kind to ourselves and not beat us up for what we aren't doing, but I guess be proud of what we are doing. Yeah, and find ways to celebrate. Yeah, exactly. How do you celebrate? Oh, celebrate. Um, I had dinner at the table. I guess I'm a huge fan of... Um, of just sitting at the table and sharing stories and um yeah I guess we so we treat our meals as a bit of a ritual so our evening meals are quite precious in our household and um you know a cup of teas at the table um I just remember my grand she had this um table on her veranda where she everyone would come over from the neighborhood and sit down with a cup of tea and I kind of, yeah, for me, celebrations are quite simple. They're just based on connecting with people and sharing stories and really listening and just really being with each other. 
You mentioned uh, earlier, Trisha, about deep healing and shamanic womancraft, and I'm interested to hear a little more about that subject because um, it's very self-interested. I'm a wannabe witch, and I'd love to know (laughs) how those things are incorporated into your life and if you have a philosophy, like a health philosophy and a healing kind of methodology that you're following each day and if there's some shamanic elements that you can tell us about. Yeah, so I guess my... um... My interest in shamanic womancraft is very much about reconnecting with the seasons and cycles of nature. So reconnecting with the earth seasons and the lunar cycle. So as I mentioned, I structure my whole life around the phases of the moon. And I also look to the seasons to remind me when to take time out. And also at the moment, it's quite so shamanic womancraft um, It's actually just a way to facilitate healing by reclaiming feminine knowledge. And so one of the main tools for doing that is reclaiming our rites of passage. So our menarche, our first period or pregnancy, birth and menopause. And so the later, I guess, as a almost 49-year-old, well and truly in perimenopause territory, that's... um, something that I'm focusing on the moment so as so menopause it's a wonderfully powerful rite of passage that our culture does very poorly and it only works its magic if we give it the attention it deserves um a really worthwhile book Christiane Northrop she's got a book called The Wisdom of Menopause and I love how she calls it she calls menopause the mother of all wake-up calls and it's when the stuff we need to deal with is revealed so it's a time for Reevaluation and renegotiation. And I realized, you know, after I decided to have my midlife gap year, that it was actually my body telling me that I need to slow down and pause. Because um, it's actually biological. So when we're designed to be selfless, it makes evolutionary sense. So we, can, we need to do all we can to help our children survive. And so thanks to the veil of estrogen that descends on us at puberty, we're actually happy to do so. So estrogen has also been described as the hormone of accommodation. And I love how my teacher, Jane Hardwick-Collings, describes it. So once we start menstruating, the veil of estrogen descends and we tend towards responding to situations with, whatever you want, dear. Um, So we happily sacrifice ourselves for our family and we always put the needs of our family before our own Um, to the point of exhaustion, but then at menopause, as estrogen decreases and the veil lifts, instead of whatever you want, dear, we start roaring, how come I'm the only one that does anything around here? And so at menopause, all those unhealed parts of you scream for attention and everything that needs to change, your your schedule, your diet, um, your relationships, they all become really obvious. And so... Over the last few years, I guess I've, you know, taken time out to just journal, wander barefoot and sit in the wilds. And we've kind of, I've got this, my mum's got a, I think it's 1912 edition of the Ladies' Handbook of Home Treatment that was my great-grandmother Mary's. And there's a whole lot of nonsense in there. But the advice on menopause is gold. It actually talks about, you know, this is from three or four generations ago, the beginning of menopause should be regarded as a signal to rest. 
at a time when such marked changes are taking place in a woman's body, she should, if possible, retire from active service, leading for the time being a quiet, restful life. And then the book goes on to say that, you know, it might not be possible. If you don't take a break, you'll actually be paying for it later with your health and happiness. And so we're somehow as a culture forgotten what a major transition this time is. And we just expect ourselves to barge on through with the help of medication and surgery rather than listen to our body's request to retreat and reflect and revise. I think it's indicative of the way women have operated over the last four or five generations in its in our entirety. You know, mm. we 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 bleed every single month. Exactly. And yet we operate in a world that is so dominated by men that there is this sense that regardless of you bleeding and you feeling heavy headed or bloated and swollen or giving it the emotional time to be honoring what your body is actually giving you capacity to do which is create new life we take tablets and we soldier on and we continue to operate as though there is nothing going on in our our physical or our mental that is different from yesterday and I feel like we, we have an entire you know you'll be right just sort that problem out and get on with the show it's crazy, so, isn't it? It's such a missed opportunity too because I guess we um, we berate PMS but it's actually um, a time of the month when our hormones, our hormones change throughout the month and yet we expect ourselves to always always be in peak productivity. And But, you know, our hormones remind us when to turn inwards and when we're bleeding, it's actually a really good reminder just to turn inwards and listen to ourselves and that PMS is actually, I guess, it's when we're closest to our maiden self, you know, our 12-year-old self. So our hormones have their least influence on us and everything is everything that's wrong in our life is really, really clear. And yet we, I guess, we get frustrated with ourselves because we're feeling emotional or tired, but that emotion is real. It's actually telling us what we need to change and what we don't... Um, yeah, what we don't need anymore. And, so and we're embarrassed pause. by it and we see it yeah. as a weakness. Oh, I exactly. spend my life justifying, yes, my period is due and I'm just a bit emotional right now. I'm really sorry, but I just am. And yeah. I, I think how crazy to have to actually apologise for my natural state. Exactly. I like to think of it instead of, um, so PMS is um, premenstrual supervision, so I can cl- see really <laughs> clearly all that is wrong in my life. And so, um, you know, we're really open in our house about when both Olivia and I are menstruating. And um, although I'm well and truly, I think it's been many months now, I'm well and truly getting close to the end of perimenopause. But um, I just say to Mark, this is a gift. Like at the moment, I'm saying what really needs to change. And yes, it might be amplified, but you kind of probably need me to be amplifying what I need to change. And um, <laughs> and the thing with menopause, it's also, it's like one really long period of PMS. So um, what I like is that I've got the chance to share this all with my daughter. So she knows that if she listens to her body, and deals with whatever's coming up or lets herself body rest or listen to what's making her feel emotional each and every month by the time she gets to perimenopause and lifts the rug and all that needs to be dealt with becomes really obvious um, there won't be much to deal with so I guess um, each month we have a chance to pause turn inwards and reflect and that's such a wonderful reminder and I guess we need to learn to make the most of it and you also said that you 
are enjoying living cyclically, I guess what it does is it puts an exclamation mark that another month has passed. Yeah. And what I really like is that my favourite part of the month is what I do is the three days before, as you could do this with your menstrual cycle, but I do it with the moon now because I'm not menstruating regularly anymore, but I schedule in the three days before the new moon as my dark moon retreat days. And so they're in my calendar. So when I'm scheduling events, if someone suggests doing something, I'll go, oh, actually, no, they're my dark moon retreat days. I can't do anything then. And so I actually focus on, I sit down and I journal and I think about what was working and I think about what isn't working. And I look back at my new moon prayers and I go, oh, actually, I did not achieve what I set out to achieve this month. And so, um, you know, when I'm setting my, new moon intentions for the following month I've already done all the reflection and I already know what I could have improved and it's kind of just this ongoing creative tweaking that's um yeah I really enjoy those three days they um sometimes I just focus on catching up on chores but if I have to do that I do it in a mindful way I guess I try and focus on my chores in a in a meditative single focused way it can be this whole opening for people to conceptualize it as maiden and mother and then crone and seeing menopause as this time where, I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with Susan Weed, but she talks about it as like a 10 year dissolution, like you're in a chrysalis and you're turning to liquid goo and then you emerge and you're oh, the crone. And that is so important because then we're into elder territory and we've got these powerful women kind of like, I think it's um, the orcas or whales who have the, the maternal, the matriarchs of their pod who aren't actually reproductive, but they're there to guide the rest and the young'uns. And I'm wondering how you, and if you um, have elders in your life, both for your daughter and yourself and your husband, do you have that kind of stratigraphy of elders um, there to kind of support you? Yeah, so um, yes, definitely, and I'll come back to that. But I'll just mention one thing is that um, I guess, you know, people are familiar with the maiden mother um, crone, but at the School of Shamanic Womancraft, um, we talk about maiden mother crone and there's an additional stage marga. I guess the hmm. crones, there's, um, I guess that whole idea of there being three phases in a woman's life came about when women were dying um, much younger than what they do today. And, you know, once you're on the other side of menopause, a crone isn't quite appropriate. So there's an additional term known as marga. It's the uh, the female equivalent of, of magician. And that's kind of when a woman's stepping in the autumn of her life. And the School of Shamanic Womancraft and Jane Hardwick Collins have this, it's actually gone online recently. She's got this um, autumn woman workshop, which is really good for this kind of stuff. And so it's all about becoming Marga and, um, yeah, a delightful stage of life before crone. Um, I guess crone's something a little bit um, less outward focused, but Marga is this delightful stage where you're harvesting all that you've reaped and you're... Um, yeah, stepping into your, I guess, your second purpose of your life. We spend the first half, you know, mother raising our families, but Marga's about um, taking our knowledge out into the community. And um, you talk about, you mentioned that whole stage of where you've got this kind of mush before you emerge um, from the chrysalis. And I can so relate to that. So you're, this is actually the first podcast request I've said yes to in the last few years because. Um, 
I just really wanted to embrace that feeling of just inwards metamorphosis, not forcing myself to be out there because I kind of feel like the deeper I go now, the more inward focused I am, the smoother my journey in front. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's not from mother to crone. There's a delightful autumn stage in there in between and um, elders in my life. So, yeah, I find myself now... Um, you know, a really close friend of mine, um, she's 83, Jane. I'm about to go on a road trip with her in a couple of weeks um, to take my daughter and another girl um, into a ceremony. And, um, yeah, and so part of the local land care group, a lot of the members are in their 70s and 80s. So I definitely find myself seeking out time with wise elders. So they're really hard to find these days. And, um, yeah, I definitely prioritise time with elders in my and community. And is, is Tricia that both men and women? Yeah, I think for me, um, my relationship with um, Jane, my 83-year-old friend, is particularly special. But um, some of the men in the local land care group, I definitely respect their um, my, the time I spend with them. Um, I do like I'm still kind of looking for more wise elders and I know I love um, so at, with the School of Shamanic Women Craft there's some delightful um, mentors um, through that school in that kind of 60 to 70 age bracket but um, yeah I'm I enjoy spending time with elder women at the moment as well too. No, and there's such a hunger for it as well. I think that we all yeah. have either an avert or a latent craving for that um, for that connection with our elders. And it's it, like mm. you mentioned, it's really hard to seek out and there aren't many formal platforms for it. But I think as you've uh, nailed is getting involved with those groups, community groups where it's actually probably selecting for people with more time and therefore retired and therefore, you know, a bit older. So that's a really good place to start. Yeah, that's one of the things to do with I vitality. Think- and a desire to share and to nurture and to guide and to, you know, be valued. Yeah, and I think if we looked after our elders more or if we looked after ourselves in our younger years, um, there would be a lot more wise elders out of there, out there. I often joke that, you know, I kind of feel like I'm going to be at my best when I'm 80. I find the idea of pacing myself um, easy because I know that, I guess for me personally, that's where I kind of vision being at my best and that's not going to happen if I'm overwhelmed and exhausted. You might not make 80 if you don't. No, I, no I, I think there's, I like the idea of, um, yeah, I'd be ripped off if I didn't quite make it there. But um, for me personally, um, I kind of am very passionate about that stage of life and I'm really looking forward. And I feel like all the work I'm doing now is just, you know, in training to be an older one day. A maga. Yep. Or a wise old crone. A wise old crone. <laughs> when you've been reflecting on the second phase of your life um, that you've alluded to a couple of times, do you have a really clear purpose that does look different to where you've come from? Yeah, so I guess, um, yeah, I do. So my vision in terms of where I want to go now is really clear. I've, you know, taken this time out to reflect and pause and I'm particularly passionate about helping women feel comfortable spending solitary time in nature. So it's kind of, I like that now that I know where I'm going, I'm happy to take my time. And so I'm still not jumping out of this, um, my midlife pause, 
quickly, but um, as I gradually step into my my work deeply, um, yeah, that's definitely where I want to focus. I ultimately want to be um, helping women spend, um, you know, three days out in the wild by themselves. I um, I particularly, so for me, as part of our Four Seasons journey, we did a, um, a wilderness solo, um, also called a vision quest, but it's um, three nights, four days, where you're out in the wild by yourself um, fasting. And it's all about... Um, I guess taking time to fully connect with yourself and um, to heal and to listen, and I just found the whole experience hugely transformative. So I actually suffered from sometimes disability. Dis, uh, I even say the word. <laughs> so my anxiety could be quite um, debilitating um, before, but I guess once I had that three days in the forest where I just slowed down and listened I actually realized that the anxiety was my body just screaming at me that I wasn't quite on the right path and so for me personally I'd love to help other women find that wild solitude and I recently I think I mentioned I took myself off for a um another three-day solo recently where I um I did it myself my husband I had a girlfriend come over and see me on the way out and another one come back in and hear my story when I came back and um, Mike, I guess, supporting me from base camp at home. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, I have a clear vision now about where I'm going and it's okay for me to take my time. And helping women be comfortable in the wild or more comfortable in wild places, what does that actually entail? What are the barriers to us being out there are our fears legitimate you know there might be someone out there with an axe or what do you find is the biggest fear for people oh I think the part of the fear is I guess firstly the time so I think women particularly mums find it really challenging to set aside time for themselves because they've got their family at home they've got commitment they're always busy 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 but um what I've found is that um, when I actually set aside the time to spend time in nature by myself, I come back with more energy, um, more caring, more compassionate, more creative. So um, I know Mike and Liv, they actually don't mind the time that I go away um, because they can watch movies and do all the sorts of things that I judge them for when I'm home. But they also realise that when I come back, I'm actually um, healthier and happier so I think, yeah, for one, what's stopping women is actually being selfless for once and um, creating, or selfish, sorry, it's actually being selfish for once and creating time for themselves. And I think um, being out in the wild by yourself, yeah, there's legitimate concerns, which is why I guess it depends on where you're doing it, just be conscious of it, but also you know, when I'm taking women out and they're stepping off and spending time by themselves in the wild, you know, we're within earshot. And um, for some women, that was actually, I was quite surprised how confronting some women found that. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the wild by myself, but for other women, they actually hadn't done it. So even though they were within earshot, um, yeah, they were quite uncomfortable. But I think there's a lot of beauty in actually being comfortable with being uncomfortable so we I guess we I kind of feel like 
comfort and convenience buffers us from, I guess, the really joyful and important and life-changing moments in our life. We live lives that are far too comfortable and convenient. Mm, and do you think maybe it dulls our senses? Ah, totally, yes. And I guess we're always in that that doing frantic mode. We're actually not really in the present moment and we're not truly noticing and we're definitely not tuned in to what I guess our hearts are wanting. Yeah, the industrial world doesn't encourage our hearts to speak as loudly and as clearly as they perhaps once did and probably need to. We have a tendency to default to the direction dictated by our heads and it's sensible and sensical and rational and well-considered and, you know, usually is from plan or from a point A to point B, whereas when you follow your heart, it doesn't necessarily have any of that rationale that sits behind it because it's just driven by an intuitive sense. And so it's harder to justify, one, to ourselves and two, to those around us that need to support our endeavour. And so I, I often wonder whether that the time to, to really listen to your heart is maybe your 40s or 50s once you've stopped being the decision maker on behalf of others. Yeah, I think, um, I hope, you know, For I'd love to think that my daughter was listening to her heart all along, but personally I think, um, yeah, I definitely wasn't very good at listening to my heart before now um, just because I didn't realise that I had to make the time to do it. Um, but, yeah, I hope, I think it would be wonderful if we could learn to listen to our heart a lot earlier because otherwise we kind of find out that we may have ended up not where we intended or where we weren't meant to be or, you know, I guess our beautiful world. Yeah. And I guess, um, and I think we've all got such wise hearts that if we spend all our time listening to what everyone else is saying and what everyone else is doing, we don't actually listen to what our, our hearts are saying and how we could help solve these problems. I think we need to sometimes turn down the volume and what everyone else is saying so we can hear our own hearts. Katie, do you listen to your heart? I'm intrigued as to whether or not it's an age thing because Trisha's late 40s, I'm early 40s and you're um, early 30s. I'm wondering if it's a generational or a decadal thing. <laughs> Almost exclusively. I don't think I've ever made a logical decision in my life. It's all just <laughs> right from the ventricles. <laughs> I can't go against it. I feel like it's viscerally painful and maybe because of understanding a little bit about what makes a healthy human I feel like if mm. I go against my instincts on something it actually starts to cripple me physically so um for for wrong or for right I'm willfully led by the old ticker yes what about you Jade yeah I wish I, I I'm so delighted to hear that and even when you say Trisha that your daughter who's 13 is fairly heart-led I'm really elated to hear that I would say that um I was raised by an incredible mother who very much operated as a woman but in a man's world and so I was led by example and she was a strong woman but she was masculine in her approach to how she faced the world and how she navigated through the world and I probably inherited the vast majority of that. So, you know, my inclination is to think strategically over intuitively 
and it's only since my 40s and my health declined that it made me and you know I'm just thinking about your comment Katie that you are crippled by it Mm -hmm. that I didn't really listen I I truly was um, a bit consumed by making the, the right decision the sensical decision the rational decision that you know made strategic sense and so it's only just now that I'm learning that skill. I wanted to ask a little bit more, Trisha. When you say you take women to the bush, I don't think I have a single woman friend of mine who would have spent, one, three days on her own, but two, um, kind of more than a week at a time ever in the bush. I think those two things are things that we sadly are void of in our lives now, especially if we're metro-based. Um, we just don't have access to that sort of space. We don't allow access when we fill our lives with all our busyness and our bustle that is usually oriented around the city that we live in to to give ourselves the time to feel comfortable in those natural environments and the natural world seems a little bit elusive. Yeah, I think we can find, you know, the natural world, it's there in the cities as well. You know, we have parks, we have backyards and for many women, the idea of spending three days in the wild might be absurd and so uncomfortable, but, you know, spending five minutes in a park beneath a tree, just tuning into your senses and rotating through your senses one at a time for five minutes, you know, is a really wonderful way to start. And one thing I loved when I did my um, first wilderness solo with the School of Shamanic Womencraft is there were 11 of us, and some of those women have never camped before. And every single one of the women, you know, managed to stay out for the entire three nights and four days. So no one came back early. And this is women who had never slept in a tent before. And um, it was extremely empowering for all of them. And I think we're capable of more than what we realise. And it's really good, I think, to make time to kind of sit with nature for five minutes, for one minute here and there. But, you know, once a decade or the major transitions between between different life phases, taking longer is definitely um, transformative. Is there anything you'd like to add in the last couple of minutes, Tricia, before people turn the volume down on this podcast and turn their heart volume up? Is there anything you'd like to leave with um, listeners, a piece of advice or some comforting words, anything that springs to mind? I guess the main thing is, um, just taking a breather and being okay about slowing down or turning down the volume on the outside world when you um, feel like you need it. And nature's really good at reminding us when to do that. So whether it be your menstrual cycle or the dark moon or deep winter, um, yeah, just be comfortable taking a break and turning inwards and listening to your heart. end of a podcast it's just so boring you know I always press stop when I hear the conversation wrapping up so I really appreciate the fact that you're still here that means that you're probably an above average if not exceptionally mindful individual thanks for hanging around we wanted to treat you to some feedback that we received during the week that really gave us a big old rush of oxytocin and other associated feel-good hormones so we got a message from outdoors Isabel she said Simply writing to say how much I've been enjoying your podcast since I discovered it only a few weeks ago. The first one I listened to was with Lauren and Oberon Carter, and it was transformational for me. 
Since then, I've started using the zero waste shop in town, moved my finances to an ethical bank, mended so many clothes and made a whole heap of other changes. It's been really exciting and so satisfying. And my favourite way to spend yet another lockdown evening, we've been in lockdown in the UK since just after Christmas, is listening to your podcast while I stitch up bags from an old sheet to use at the zero waste shop. Thanks for all your inspiration, positivity and a welcome dose of sunshine, literal and metaphorical into a cold British winter. We loved that, Isabel. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And if you have a story like Isabel, something that you've radically changed recently or even subtly changed recently, maybe it's off the back of one of the podcast episodes or maybe it's just something you've decided to do, plucked from the ether, fallen into your lap, whatever it may be. We love hearing these stories of simply doing things that feel more aligned with your values and how you want the world to be. We also have some very substantial gratitude to bestow on Jasmine, who bought us 10 coppers on the Buy Me A Coffee future setting page this week. Jasmine said, thank you, Jade and Katie, for the many beautiful interviews and inspiring ideas you've shared with us all. Listening is the best start to the week. Yes, we reckon it's a good way to kick off on Monday as well. Kim into the Roots Farm bought us five cuppers. Corin bought us five cuppers. Catherine bought us 10 cuppers. Thank you all for contributing to Future Studying, showing your support, showing that this stuff is valuable to you and also helping us to improve for the future. It all comes full circle. Come back next week for our conversation with the wonderful Morag Gamble. Have a beautiful week in the meantime. See you later.